Why is it so difficult to pray to God without your mind wandering, and yet when you're in a conversation with a, a good friend, uh, the conversation just flows freely? Why is it when you come to church with 50 bucks, that seems like a lot of money, but when you go to the mall, it seems like nothing? Why is it when you're driving that everybody that drives faster than you is a maniac, and everybody that drives slower than you uh, needs to have their head examined? That's the way we are. Why is that? I'll tell you why. Because we all struggle to one degree or another with a malady that permeates all of the human race called selfishness. Selfishness is basically the number one reason we hurt each other. Uh, selfishness is what's behind everything that's happening overseas with the war. Selfishness is what is what causes crime here in the States. Selfishness is the number one root reason behind every divorce. In fact, every strained relationship has at its root selfishness. So in light of that, I'd like for us to look today at a reason for unselfishness. That if we can just take somewhat of the bite off of the hardship of life, and being a little less selfish. Look with me at John chapter 13. John 13. Today we're actually going to finish our series on Jesus and people. And I hope that you have caught the point as we've gone through this series that Jesus and people does not just mean Jesus and the people in the Bible but it means Jesus and the people in the Bible and the people here, you and me. Jesus and people is not just uh, an examination of stories. It's an examination of how Jesus Christ can influence your life. John 13, we come back again to the disciples, the ones whom Jesus is actually speaking with. But I'd like as we go through this today to put yourself in the position of the disciples and to not just look at it again as Jesus and other people, but Jesus and you. John 13, we'll start right in verse 1. John tells us, Now before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come that he should depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end, and during supper, the devil, having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God, rose from supper and laid aside his garments. And taking a towel, he girded himself about. Then he poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. You're probably familiar with the fact that back in those days, uh, people didn't wear Nikes. They didn't have shoes that uh, kept their feet clean. They didn't even have asphalt on roads that kept dust off the shoes. They had dirt streets, and they wore sandals. 
And so it doesn't matter even if you had just taken a bath. If you walk across the yard uh, to go get something, you're going to come back to the house with dirty feet, even though the rest of you is clean. And so the custom was whenever you were to come into anybody's house, you'd have your feet washed. Uh, a custom that is sort of similar that we have is where the host would take your coat at the door. It's just a polite thing that happens at the door. And yet taking your coat is not humiliating or is not a, a humbling task, I should say. Washing feet is. It's in a sense like wiping somebody's nose when they walk into, the, into your house. It's something that a servant would do. It's something that a slave would do. It's something that uh, always a subordinate would do. Never the one who was on top or in charge or had authority. And so as his disciples come into this room, the upper room here at the Last Supper, getting ready for it, they all come in and yet none of them wash their own feet. Uh, there's no servant there to wash their feet for them. And the reason I think that they didn't even wash their own feet or one of them offered to wash the feet of the group, which would have been a very polite thing to do, would not have been out of the ordinary to do, for one person to offer to do it. I think the reason that it didn't happen is because if you look at the Gospel of Luke and how it ties in with this event, you see that Luke tells us that during this time the disciples had been arguing with one another which one of them was the greatest. And it's just a little odd for you to say, I'm the greatest, oh, here, let me wash your feet. So to have in your mind, I'm the greatest, and then to come in and everybody's looking around like, you know, we really ought to be washing our feet, but nobody wants to do it because then you're not the greatest. And so you've got this incredible irony here of 12 men who think they're the greatest with dirty feet. And so Jesus gets up and begins to wash their feet. We've called the message today a reason for unselfishness, but really the text gives us more than one reason. And the first we've seen here in the first five verses, and that is this. The opposite, obviously, of a, a selfish person would be one who's willing to serve other people, a servant. And by servant, I don't mean the aspect of a slave, of an indentured servant. I mean more of a one who's willing to serve somebody else. So a great principle we can get from this text is that a servant serves from the security of his position in God. This is exactly what Jesus did. When Jesus got up, the main point of the, these five verses is that Jesus rose and that he washed feet. And yet that didn't happen until verse 4 and 5. Verse 1, 2, and 3 tell us why he got up to wash feet. Look at the reasons why he was able to do this. The first reason, you see in verse 1, is that Jesus knew his purpose. He knew that his hour had come, that he should depart out of this world to the Father. He knew his purpose. He knew that he was about to die for the sins of mankind. He knew his purpose. He also knew his resources. If you look in verse 3, the Father had given all things into his hands. He had complete authority. Jesus did. Jesus also knew where he'd come from. He'd come from heaven. He knew his origin, as it were, humanly speaking. And he knew his destination. He was going back to God. And so you have here the picture of a person who was completely comfortable with who he was. You have the picture here of a person that knew 
his purpose, that knew his resources, that knew where he was from, that knew where he was going. Jesus was able to serve from the security of his position in God. And incidentally, I think that's why these disciples refused to wash each other's feet or their own feet, because they were insecure about their position in God. You remember they'd been told, Jesus had told them earlier, that they were going to sit on 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And in order to secure that position, they felt like, well, if I wash feet, Jesus may think, hey, you know, he does that pretty well. Forget this throne business and you can be the foot washer in the kingdom. And so none of them washed feet because they were insecure. And yet Jesus is just the total opposite because he is so secure in his relationship to the Father, he is so certain of who he is, of his resources, and he knows where he's going. He is able to serve without having to feel like he has to put on this veneer of a king. He knows he's a king. He knows who he is. Therefore, he is able to serve without feeling demeaned in any way. And incidentally, it's the same with you and me. We can serve because of the security of our position in Jesus Christ. If you know your purpose, that is that you are not here on this earth simply to serve yourself, but to serve him who died for you. If you know your resources, that everything that, that God commands of you, he also gives you the strength to perform. If you know where you're from, that according to the scriptures you are born of God, that you were predestined, if you have believed in Jesus Christ, predestined before the foundation of the world to be conformed to the image of Christ, and you know where you're going, just like Jesus. You have a security of your salvation that no matter what happens, no matter what you do, no matter how many feet you wash, you know you're going to heaven. If you have that kind of security about who you are, then you can serve. Then you can scrub toilets. Then you can serve in the Kids Connection. Not that those two are necessarily related, but you can do the things that not necessarily everybody wants to do because you have a security in who you are. You don't have to prove it. You don't have to do just the visible, public, uh, holy things. You can also do the, the unpublic things that nobody notices with as much dignity because a servant serves from the security of his position in God. That's why Jesus was able to do this. He got up knowing all these things and he washed their feet. But notice what happens now as he makes his way around the circle washing feet. In verse 6, he comes to Peter. And so he came to Simon Peter. He said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I do, you do not realize now, but you shall understand hereafter, meaning in a few minutes. Peter said to him, Never shall you wash my feet. A couple of years ago, Brian and Dan Melendez and I went uh, to Aztec, New Mexico, there in the Four Corners region, uh, to do kind of some reconnaissance, you might say, for a mission trip that our whole church was going to take a couple of months after that. And when we went there, we met with the pastor of the church named Lionel, and we went to the service that morning and went to the Sunday school class, and Lionel had Dan and Brian and I come up front, and he had this passage read, and while this passage was being read, Lionel polished my shoes. And I remember when he did that feeling a little embarrassed, honestly, because I hadn't polished my shoes that morning. You never do when you're out of town. All right, you got five other things on your mind. My shoes were dirty and I was embarrassed, to be honest. 
I was not only embarrassed because I had dirty shoes, I was also embarrassed, honestly, because here was a pastor doing this to another pastor. And I didn't understand at that time somewhat how Peter felt until I looked back on it in light of having read this passage myself. They were reading it in Spanish. I didn't know what was going on. I just knew this guy was polishing my shoes. But Peter, I mean, his problem here wasn't that somebody was washing his feet. I mean, that had happened a thousand times in Peter's life. A thousand servants had washed Peter's feet. Peter's feet had, Peter had washed his own feet a thousand times. The problem wasn't that he was having his feet washed. The problem was who was doing it. It was Jesus. And that was honestly my problem when I was having my shoes polished. I'd polished my shoes a thousand times. I'd paid maybe a few times to have my shoes polished. But never has anybody polished my shoes, except for my wife, of course, just out of pure love. And it was embarrassing to me. Embarrassing mostly because my feet needed, my uh, shoes needed polishing. And here's Peter, embarrassed because of what Jesus is doing. You know, it's kind of like what uh, happened when you were a kid growing up and your mother would wipe your nose in public. You know, it's embarrassing. Oh, come on, Mom, don't do that. You know, you'd rather walk around with a dirty nose than have her spit into a hanky <laughs> and wipe your face there in front of everybody, wouldn't you? It's embarrassing. And I kind of feel it's what... Peter was thinking here, oh, come on, Jesus, get up. Everybody's looking. And initially, Peter's opposition or his, uh, uh, what would you say, his response, saying, no, don't do this, looks pretty humble, doesn't it? Oh, Lord, you should, you should not wash my feet. In fact, in the original language, John emphasizes this. That Peter says, you shall not wash my feet. Peter is just taken aback that this would that Jesus would be doing this. And initially, it looks really humble. Uh, in fact, his last statement there where he says, um, you sh never shall you wash my feet. That's a pretty tame translation. Uh, you could translate it literally, you shall, you shall not in any way wash my feet into eternity. That's probably what it means by never shall you wash my feet. Peter said, into eternity, you shall not wash my feet. He was adamant. He couldn't have been any more emphatic. Looks real humble on the, on the surface. But just below the surface of humility, and it's unfortunate how many times this is true in all of us, just below the surface of humility is pride. Because what was Peter really saying? Peter hadn't had a problem that Jesus was washing feet uh, before he got to him. Okay, sure, you wash John's feet over there. Yeah, wash Andrew's feet. You be sure and get his feet really clean. But then when he comes to, to Peter, Peter says, no, you won't wash my feet. It's pride that bothered Peter. It wasn't humility. But I think, I wonder if, if even Peter's mind, he was able to make that distinction. He probably felt like he was being very holy. Certainly he was very, almost insulted, and he probably embarrassed that he himself had not done it, washed his own feet at least, much less everybody else's. But I think a lot of times people will do this in, in the relationship with Jesus and they'll say, oh, I'm unworthy, you know, to let Jesus wash my feet, as it were. 
or come into my life and be a part of my life. I'm unworthy. I've done too much. My feet are too dirty. Whereas Jesus is the only one who will wash your feet and who can wash your feet in that sense. And yet it is not humility to say, I'm unworthy when he is offering to clean your feet. It is pride. That I've gone just a little too far, Lord, and there's just some sins that are just so bad that your death on the cross and my behalf can't pay for. Jesus responds to Peter, to his uh, objection. Halfway through verse 8. I stopped halfway through. Now let's continue. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. You know, I, I wonder, he goes from one extreme to another. I kind of wonder if Peter wasn't bipolar or something. You know, first Jesus is doing too much, and now Jesus is doing too little. Oh, don't wash my feet at all. Oh, okay, you want to wash my feet? Well, wash my head, my hands, everything. What did Jesus mean when he said, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. What does part mean? Well, I'll tell you what it doesn't mean. If we interpret Scripture with Scripture, it doesn't mean. In fact, you interpret the book of John with the book of John back in chapter 10. You see that there is no sheep that Jesus will let wander if they're his. Nothing, nobody can snatch uh, the sheep out of the hand of Jesus. Nobody can snatch sheep out of the hand of the Father. Both the Father and the Son have a hold of that little sheep, that believer. And there is no way that the believer can lose the salvation. So unless John is contradicting himself, and he's not, part here has got to mean something else. And it does. If you were to look at this word as used in other contexts, for example, look at the screen at 2 Corinthians chapter 6. The New King James does a great job translating this verse. Do not be unequally yoked together. Notice the comparisons. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what, here's the word, part has a believer with an unbeliever? The word here is clearly used in the context of fellowship. Here it's a fellowship we shouldn't have. In the context of John 13, it's a fellowship we should have. It's the kind of part or the kind of fellowship, the kind of being joined together that was spoken of Mary of Bethany. When Jesus said to her, or of her, Mary has chosen the better part and it will not be taken away from her. Speaking of the fellowship that she desired to have with the Lord Jesus. So I take it the very same things being said here regarding Peter. If I do not wash you, you shall not have fellowship with me. Now he's speaking on a spiritual level here and I don't think Peter catches it initially because of the way that he, we're going to see him respond. But from the verses that come after this, we see that Jesus is not just talking about taking dirt off toenails. He's talking about a spiritual level. He's using this physical example to demonstrate something spiritual. Unless I wash you, uh, you cannot have part of me or fellowship with me. And verse 10, we see more clearly now that he's speaking on a spiritual level. Jesus said to him, He who has bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew the one who was betraying him. For this reason, he said, not all of you are clean. See, here you get a clear indication that John is telling us Jesus is speaking on a spiritual level. 
because Judas had his feet washed. Speaking of Judas, obviously. He had his feet washed by Jesus. And yet Jesus says, you're not all clean. Judas had been bathed as had they all, but he was not clean. So you catch a clear understanding here that Jesus is not just talking about a physical truth. Yeah, when you bathe, you stay clean, but when you walk on the street, your feet get dirty, only need to wash your feet. He's making another point about this. If you've got the old King James uh, translation, it translates two different words the same way. It's got wash and wash. The uh, New American Standard, which is on the screen, or maybe you have NIV or New King James, does a better job of translating it two different words. Jesus says bathed and wash. The bathe is something that you would always do of the entire body. Washed was a word that was only used of part of the body. And Jesus says he who has bathed needs only to wash his feet. If you bathe all of you, you don't need to bathe all of you again. The same word that is used here, bathed, is used in the context of salvation. Look at what Paul writes in Titus 3. He says, He saved us not because of righteous things we'd done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. Same thing, Paul says in Ephesians 5. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. So you get from these two verses that you see the word that Jesus is using here, washing, can be used to be spoken of a spiritual washing, that is salvation. Salvation that comes simply by grace. And notice Jesus says, if you're washed or if you're saved, you don't have to get saved again. You don't have to be uh, saved over and over and over. But you do need to have your feet washed. That is, you do need, in order to remain in the part with Jesus, remain in fellowship with Jesus, you have to uh, confess your sins, as the rest of the scripture tells us. So, I hope I'm not losing you or confusing you. Um, what's the difference, right? between going to all these different verses and saying, well, this Greek word means this, yada, da, da, da. But I'm trying to try to validate to you, I'm not pulling all this out of thin air, that Jesus' spiritual lesson here about the washing the feet and the bathing is simply teaching Peter a truth, a spiritual truth from a physical act. And that spiritual truth is simply this, that once you have been saved, you don't need to be saved again. You've been bathed, you're clean. In fact, if I could bother you with one more verse, John 15, in the same book, Jesus says, you are already clean, same word, because of the word which I've spoken to you. So there's consistency in the way this is used. If you're saved, you don't have to be saved all over again, but you do need to wash your feet in order to stay in fellowship with Christ. Doesn't mean you'll go to hell. It's speaking of just fellowship with Christ and daily communion with Him. You need to confess your sins before Him. That's what I think He's teaching here. He makes a spiritual lesson. So as he kind of puts the other end of the parentheses, uh, as he's begun talking about his spiritual lesson, then he closes out the spiritual lesson. Now he goes back to why it is he washes, he washed their feet. In verse 12, back to the idea of being a servant. He says, or John says, And so when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table again, he said to them, Do you know what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. 
If I then, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. There was a student at a Bible college in the Philippines a number of years ago that was consistently upset about the, how dirty the bathrooms were. And finally, he got so upset that he went to the president or the principal of the school and told the principal, I said, look, you know, every time, ever since I've been here, these, the men's restroom has been absolutely filthy. Would you please get somebody to clean it? And the principal listened and said, yes. You know, he says, I'll have that taken care of. Well, wasn't long after that, this guy was walking by the bathroom and he happened to see the door propped open and you saw the sign there that it was being cleaned. He thought, well, it's about time. And he kind of peeked in and he saw on his hands and knees the principal scrubbing the toilets. And he said that that so affected him because he figured the principal was going to call a janitor or something, you know, and just have it done that way. But instead, the principal went and he did it himself. And the guy said he felt like, I was so convicted of that, why didn't I do it myself then? If my complaining was going to have the principal do it, I should have done it myself. And I think a lot of times that is our problem as well. When we see a need, we want Jesus to call the janitor. Hey, Jesus, uh, take care of that. Call a janitor. Somebody else. Somebody who's used to getting dirty. I don't really want to do it. I don't have time to do it. Call a janitor. Here's another good principle that we get from these verses. Jesus washed feet. Is this. A servant serves regardless of the task. You see, by stooping to serve in such a humble manner, Jesus made, I think, these disciples a little ashamed that they certainly hadn't washed their own feet, but also that they hadn't offered to do what Jesus did. There's a cartoon I saw that goes well in with Colleen's suggestion about the kiss connection here. But you see, in, a, in another universe parallel to our own, the speaker says, are there any volunteers for teaching our four-year-old Sunday school? Me, me, no me, it's my turn. You see? Now notice, it's only funny you don't get the joke until you realize it's a parallel universe. Somewhere else this is happening in a world that's exactly opposite ours. When Christ says that we ought to wash one another's feet, some have actually taken this literally and uh, will actually pull out a, a basin and pull off the shoes and wash your feet. And I don't mean to slight them or make light of that if they want to do that. But I don't think that's the thrust of what Jesus was teaching. Uh, what's funny, though, incidentally, whenever that happens, whenever you go to a foot-washing ceremony, what would you always do before you went to a foot-washing ceremony? You wash your feet. You'd make sure your feet were clean so that when you go, you don't pull off these stinky dogs and everybody's looking and going, whoa, wash them quick. <laughs> that totally defeats the purpose of having a foot-washing ceremony, doesn't it? Jesus didn't wash clean feet. He washed dirty feet, and it was a surprise to everybody. Jesus does not call us to serve in an area where somebody else has got it covered. He calls us to serve in areas where there's need. To serve where there's dirty feet. So I don't think Jesus is giving us another ordinance here like baptism or the Lord's Supper. But as Jesus says, look at verse 15. For I gave you an example that you also should do as I did to you.
Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, neither is one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. Another great principle here is that a servant serves because Christ has served him. Richard Foster has a nice statement. <laughs> he says, In some ways, we'd prefer to hear Jesus' call to deny father and mother houses and land for the sake of the gospel than to hear his word to wash feet. Radical self-denial gives us the feeling of adventure. If we forsake all, we have the chance of a glorious martyrdom. But in serving, we are banished to the mundane, ordinary, and the trivial. Ruth Calvin had a nice prayer. She says, Lord, you know how I serve you with great emotional fervor in the limelight. You know how eagerly I speak for you at a woman's club. You know my genuine enthusiasm at a Bible study. But how would I react, I wonder, if you pointed to a basin of water and asked me to wash the calloused feet of a bent and wrinkled old woman day after day, month after month, in a room where nobody saw and nobody knew. Ten years ago, Mother Teresa visited Phoenix and set up a, uh, a home, you might say, for the poor there. She was interviewed on the biggest radio station there in Phoenix, and kind of off the air to the side, the DJ asked her if there was anything he personally could do for her. And of course, he was expecting something like a financial contribution or to kind of give a plug on the radio for the new homeless shelter. And instead, Mother Teresa says, yes, there is something you can do. I want you to find somebody that nobody loves and love them. You know, a roommate who washes the clothes of another roommate, really doing it just so that the other roommate will clean the bathroom, isn't serving. A husband who washes the dishes just so he can watch the television program he wants to watch that night, isn't really serving. A person who uh, throws a big hunk of change in the giving box just to get a nice tax deduction, isn't serving. That's self-serving. That's bartering. That's trading one for another in all these examples. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. It's not what Mother Teresa mentioned to this DJ. Find somebody who nobody else loves. It's not going to give you the, the press. It's not going to give you the prestige. It's not going to give you the acclaim. But to do it, as Ruth Calvin said, in a room where nobody saw and nobody knew. That's a servant. There was a missionary who overseas asked if he liked what he was doing. I want to read to you his response. He said, Do I like this work? No. My wife and I don't like dirt. We have reasonably refined sensibilities. We don't like crawling into vile huts through goat dung. But is a man to do nothing for Christ he does not like? God pity him if not. Liking or disliking has nothing to do with it. We have orders to go, and we go. Love constrains us. I think that's the whole point of what Jesus says, If I then, 
The Lord and teacher washed your feet. You also ought to do the same. A servant serves because Christ has served him. He plainly tells us. He's given us an example. He is our motivation. Motivation is that he has loved us. He has served us. He had nothing to gain by serving. The text clearly tells us that the Father had put all things in Jesus' hands. Jesus had everything. He had nothing to gain by washing feet. He did it because he loved. The text even tells us that. He loved them to the end. A servant serves because Christ has served him. That's our motivation. This is not a new concept. All the way back into the Old Testament. Look at what Samuel said. Only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart. For consider what great things he's done for you. That's your motivation. What great things has he done for you? That's your motivation. Donald Whitney wrote, Suppose he gave you the most beautiful body and face of anybody that ever lived. Suppose he gave you a body that never aged a thousand years, but then at death you should be out of heaven and into hell for eternity. Has God ever given anyone anything that could compare with salvation that he gave as a believer? See, he can't give us any more than he's already offered. Salvation. Yeah, so let's say in this life you win the world. Christ says, what good is it to win the world and lose your soul? He can't give us any more than he's already given. And I am one that often struggles with this issue as well and that I've been a Christian, I think, since I was about eight years old. So for quite a bit of time. And yet, though all that water has been under the bridge, it often happens to me that, that the grace of God blunts my sensitivity to people's needs. I don't remember what it was like to be going to hell. Okay? It was a long time ago when I had that fear. I don't remember it. And there are some you know, Christians who are brand new Christians who last year, if they had died, would have gone to hell. And they know. They haven't lost the sensitivity to understand what Christ has done by dying for your sins. Have you forgotten that? I mean, really? That God did not save you because you, in and of yourself, had anything to offer Him? He saved you by His grace? Have you forgotten that? You are saved by grace alone, through faith in Christ alone, and not of yourselves, lest anyone should boast. And so our motivation to grab the towel and start washing feet and doing the mundane that nobody else wants to do, to serve and love those that nobody else wants to love, to be kind in our home when everybody else is rude, the motivation there is not to get something back. It's not bartering. Our motivation is that a servant serves because Christ has served us. And what are, what's the reward of a servant? Very last verse we'll look at, verse 17. If you know these things, Jesus said, you're blessed if you do them. Not if you know them, not if you study about them, not if you memorize verses about them, not if you come and hear a sermon, a sermon about them. If you know these things, you're blessed if you do them. You see, by name, a servant serves. A servant serves. And if you don't serve, you're not a servant. A reason for unselfishness essentially boils down to this. That a servant can serve from the security of who they are in Jesus Christ. A servant will serve regardless of the task where there is the need. 
A servant serves because Christ has served him, and the reward of a servant is their satisfaction is in obeying Christ. You're blessed if you do it. The word blessed could mean happy. And maybe the three or four times in my life that I've actually served out of pure motives, not because I get paid to do it, not because I know somebody else is going to look at me and think well of me for doing it, but simply out of pure motives. I can tell you maybe those three or four times in my life that I've actually done that. With the best of my knowledge, no ulterior motives. That is the most wonderful feeling. And what Jesus says is exactly true. There is a happiness there that goes beyond compare. It goes beyond any amount of money you could get, beyond any prestige you could get, to know that you're doing it simply for the glory of Christ. There is a great satisfaction there. So often we miss because of our selfishness, even when we serve in selfishness. As I said up front, <clears throat> we finish this series on Jesus and people, not looking at Jesus and just these people, but Jesus and these people. And if you've placed your faith in Jesus, I want to read to you a challenge about this very same issue. Listen to this. You'll recognize it, I'm sure, immediately, but listen as if for the first time. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking on the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those who are in heaven and on the earth, under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Why can we serve? Because Jesus, who was God, served. One who could have been anything chose to be a servant. And we are given his example that we should follow. And if you've not placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you too one day are going to bow the knee before and confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He is the Lord. But you can bow before him as your Savior or you can bow before him as your judge. But either way, you will bow before Jesus Christ. And I want to encourage you to realize that your sin will keep you out of heaven unless you place your faith in Jesus Christ who died for your sins and believe in him. Let's pray together. What a difficult chapter, Lord, this is to look at because we all fail it. We are all selfish. I pray that today you might take some of the edge off our selfishness to remind us that we were all bound for hell if it had not been the grace of the Lord Jesus in dying for our sins. And out of that motivation that he loved us because he loved us, he died because he loved us, not because we were going to give him anything. That motivation, Lord, may it be our driving passion to be a servant to one another, to do the mundane, to go where the need is, to wash those feet, not the clean ones, the ones with dirt. And I pray, Lord, for the one here today who has not placed their faith in Jesus, to help them to realize all the serving in the world will still send them to hell if they don't believe in Jesus who died for them. 
please, Lord, move their hearts to accept. All of this we ask in Jesus' name. Thank you. Lord bless you. Hi, this is Wayne Stiles. You can receive a weekly devotional by email by subscribing to my blog at waynestiles.com. There you'll also find resources for devotional and Bible land study, as well as a way for us to connect via Facebook and Twitter. There's even an opportunity to support this weekly podcast with a donation. That's waynestyles.com. Thanks for listening. Thank you.